I want to start off by asking three questions. So feel free to answer them out loud wherever you may be listening to this. First question is, how many hours do students spend in school from 7th grade to 12th grade? Second question is, what percentage of society go through the portal of middle school and high school? The third and final question is, what percentage of students in society accept Christ before they graduate high school? So gather your answers, because in this episode, Jeff Eckert speaks about having the heart, eyes, and guts of the kingdom, and he answers these three questions. So if you played along and answer them yourself, you can see if you got them right. But when we look at the world, the opportunities are endless to pray for things. And school campuses have endless opportunities. It is the most influential environment in society. The three statistics that you will hear about in this episode make the school strategic, making students the most strategic missionaries in America. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. So one night at midnight, this pregnant wife said to her husband, I have this craving. You know how pregnant women get cravings? And she said, I need you to go get me something right now. So she sent him to the store. She's like, I, I know it's weird, but I need escargot. I need you to go get it right now. Do you guys know what escargot is? It's a fancy word for snails. She's like, go get me some escargot. So he leaves. On his way to the store, he's driving by his friend's house. He sees the light on. He goes in and and he just, they start talking, and it's like, they just start playing video games. And the next thing he knows, he falls asleep. He wakes up at 7 in the morning. He's like, oh, man. So he goes to the store as quick as he can. He grabs the escargot. He gets back home as quick as he can. And when he pulls up in front of his house, he sees the light on, and he sees his wife pacing behind the window. And he's like, man, I am dead. So he goes up. He walks up to the door. He takes the the snails out, and he lines them up on the stairs leading up to the porch, up to the door. And his wife opens the door and get raised, and she's like just ready to let him have it. And he looks down, and he says, all right, one more step, boys, we're almost there. You get it? It's kind of funny. Thank you. It's mainly for you, I guess. It's kind of all in how you look at things, right? Two salesmen sell shoes, were sent to this island. And they get there, and one calls back to his company and says, listen, you got to fly me back home because nobody here wears shoes. The other one calls his company back and says, hey, send me all the shoes you got because nobody here wears shoes. And the idea is, it's all in how you approach things. It's all in how you understand and view. And I think that's true of life. It's true of how we understand God. It's true of how we live. It's true of how we pray. That It's all in how we look at it. And I tend to be a very glass, half-full kind of person, if you know what that means. I'm a very optimistic, positive guy. And when it comes to what we're going to talk about today, when it comes to your school, the opportunity is everywhere. I hope that you don't leave this weekend and, and your mind isn't either renewed or refreshed in understanding that 
when you look at the world, when you look at your school, the opportunity is there. And we see some students that start CYC and they're like, eh, nobody here wants to pray, nobody wants to do it. And other students that could even be at the same school, I would, I would argue, that could say the opportunity is endless at this school because we need God to be at work here. And what we're going to talk about today is having the heart and the eyes and the guts of the kingdom. And we need to have God's heart. We need to have a kingdom heart. We need to have a kingdom set of eyes. And we need to have some guts. And that's what we're going to get into this morning. All right? So Jesus, what we're going to read today in Matthew 9 was, uh, it's when he was where he lived mainly. And I put this map up here because I think it's interesting and it'll make sense here. So you can kind of see this little light there, but this is Jerusalem, okay? And a lot of Jesus' story that we might be thinking about a lot of times is Jesus' story in Jerusalem when he was there. Remember when he went to the temple and if you remember, he turned over all the tables, he made all the religious leaders mad, and that's where he prayed in the garden that we talked about, and that's where he was crucified. And Jerusalem, you might say it was kind of like New York City to us. It was, it was where a lot of things happened. It was where most people lived. It was really the epicenter of faith at that time. And even today in the world, it's still that way in a lot of ways. It's, it's a hub of many, many things. But what's interesting about Jesus is he barely spent any of his life in Jerusalem. We know he was there when he was 12. We know he was there when he was uh, younger, and then he died there. But actually, he spent most of his life up here in this area called Galilee. And there's a little bitty town right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee right here. It's called Capernaum, and that's where he set up his ministry. Now, when you go to Capernaum today, we were there a few months ago. There's really nothing. It's only a tourist place. That's it. There's nothing there. And it's right now, it would be considered kind of in the middle of nowhere. And even when Jesus lived there, more than likely, there wasn't a lot of people that lived there. So you've got to ask yourself the question, why would Jesus, who wanted to come to save the world, to change the world, why would he spend most of his life up in the middle of nowhere and not in Jerusalem where the action was. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because Jesus wasn't this, sometimes we think of him as this kind of weird, random, like happy-go-lucky kind of hippie guy that just kind of wanders around, he's wearing sandals, and just going from place to place without really much purpose. But actually, he was very strategic. So there's a reason that he was up there. And here's the reason. The reason is, this place right here, people would travel back and forth. They would go to Syria, they would go over to the Decapolis, even in Persia, and they would come around and they would make their way back and forth. And so Capernaum was a place of influence because it was a place, it was like a thoroughfare where people would go back and forth. So people would stop there, and people from all over that area would be there. And Jesus spent his time strategically up there, and it says that he traveled around teaching and preaching in their synagogues. So Jesus was there because that's really where his influence was because that's where the people were. And I want you to think about your school. Here's what we say about your school. It's the most influential environment in society. And there's three reasons that we believe that your school campus, along with every other middle school and high school in America, is the most influential environment in society. So let me ask you some trivia questions and see if you know the answer. 
How many hours does the student spend on campus between 7th and 12th grade? I want you to write down a number. How many hours do you think, if someone went to school full-time between 7th and 12th grade, and I'm not going to give you forever, and like Zoe's already going, the wheels are turning. Just like take a guess, because you can sit and try to figure it out. But we actually calculated this number, so we know. So do you have a number written down? 2,684. 5,000. Any other guesses? 18,354. One more? 7,200-ish? Here's the answer. 9,000 hours. Spending 9,000 hours of your life. That's a long time, isn't it? That's too long, isn't it? What percentage of students in the United States attend middle school or high school, either partially or entirely? Pick a percentage. This means that how many, what's the percentage of United States students in middle school and high school that at least one time, if not the whole time, they're in middle school or high school? Does that make sense? Write down a percentage. What do you think the percentage is of, and some of you might know this, if you were here last year, does anybody remember from last year? Is here? I'm not seeing any uh, affirmative faces. 99.5. Almost everyone. Okay? Here's the last one. What percentage of students accept Christ before they graduate high school in society? So of all people that become believers in their lifetime, what's the percentage that make that decision before they graduate? Now, this number fluctuates a little bit because different people have different numbers, and I picked a little bit of a lower number. So here it is, 85%. Some people say it's above 90. Here's what that means. What that means, you guys, is that if you don't make a decision to accept Christ before you graduate, there's only a 15% chance you're going to make that decision for the rest of your lifetime. That's pretty astounding, isn't it? Think about those three factors, 9,000 hours, 99.5%, 85%. That makes the school campus strategic because it's where... You guys are spending the majority of your life in this time. It's where you're all together in one place, and it's where you're most receptive to the gospel at that time. Some of you here, you have more influence and opportunity for influence now than you may have for the rest of your life. And I don't mean that to, to be pessimistic about your future, but the fact is some of you are walking through the hallways every day with hundreds and hundreds of people. And those of us here that are adults in the room, we will tell you that when you graduate, you will hardly see any of those people. Even if you stay in your same town or city or area, you won't see most of those people for the rest of your life. You won't really have any influence on them. So the opportunity that you have is pretty amazing. So when Claim Your Campus fulfills its mission, which is one million students praying at every school, it will be positioned as one of the most influential movements in America. Because... If prayer is happening at every school, it's touching every community. And it's touching places where people are most receptive to the gospel. And you know who the most strategic missionaries are in the United States of America? 
You. You are. There's no one that has more opportunity to change the face of our nation more than you do. That's why we do Claim Your Campus, because we want to raise up a generation that understands how to, to know and receive God's love and to pray and to get to know Him and talk to Him and then to intercede and pray on behalf of others. Because it could change our nation, and it will change our nation. And we are on our, on our way. Claim Your Campus now is active in at least that we know of 44 states. And we're growing and spreading. And there are 67,000 schools, middle schools and high schools in the United States. And our mission and purpose is to raise up at least 15 students for every school. Something that's very achievable. And if we do that, we'll have a million students praying in every community in the United States, which could really change things. So let's talk about when Jesus was up in this area and what happened here. And this is what it says. So Jesus went through all the towns and villages up in that area. And he was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And I can tell you that no passage has changed my life in the last couple months as much as this one. Because Jesus, it says, he went through and he, he was teaching in the crowds. And go back and just look at what's happening here. He's healing diseases. He's seeing the needs. And then it says, when he saw the crowds, and I don't know how that worked. I don't know if like there was a moment where he just kind of stepped back from all these crowds that had been following him. I don't know if he was maybe at a higher place physically and he looked down and he saw all these people. But in some way, Jesus stepped back from things and he took an assessment. And it says he saw the crowds. And if you're in a school, you're around people all the time. And probably just like me, you can be going through your life every day and you can never step back and really see things. You just kind of get in the mode, you put your head down, you get through the day, you hope to get through the week, and then you repeat the next week, right? But have you ever stepped back and just looked and assessed? So Jesus looked and he saw the crowds. And it was purposeful. He looked and then he saw. He understood. And what I'm asking you to think about is, have you ever stepped back and just looked at your school? Have you ever gotten a perspective when you look and you see what's happening there? And taken kind of an assessment and really looked at things. And not just looked at your own circumstance. And not just thought about your own life. Because one of the things that, that's a curse for all of us from the sinful nature that we have in us, that God is changing when we're believers, is that the whole world revolves around us. Everywhere we go, it's all about us. And we're thinking about us all the time. You're thinking about you right now. How's this going to affect me? Am I having a good time here? I'm tired right now. Man, I want a Krispy Kreme donut. 
and there's one only two blocks from here. Why aren't there donuts in this building? That's what you're thinking right now because I made you think that. But <laughs> see what I mean? Like that's, that's how we live. That's what we're about. And so I want you to, to get your notebooks and I want you to, in the next few seconds here, I want you to write five words that come to mind that describe your school. What do you think? Diverse. Okay. Underestimated. What else? Over here, two or three people. Let's hear. Separation. What else? Separation. You got one word. Overlooked. About somebody from this row. Potential. All right, you got one? Negativity. What about the next row? Somebody from there. What do you think? Tired? All right. What about the last row back there? You guys. Exclusive? Okay. What about somebody up here? Judgmental? All right. Anybody else over here? Laughter? All right. All right. That's good. One more. Nathan? Prideful. Okay. So you're starting to think and get the mentality of, of stepping away. You're all away from home right now. So you can think about your school. Now, here's an even more important question. Um, what does God think of your school? How would God describe your school? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop for a minute. We're going we're gonna to try something. We're going to try a little experiment here. And before you write anything down, some of you are writing. Before you write anything, just stop writing for a minute. We're going to try something. Because last night we talked about um, prayer. We talked about how prayer isn't just talking, it's hearing, right? It's listening. So we're going to try something. I want you to stop, and for 30 seconds, I want you to stop and, and close your eyes and focus. You may, maybe you want to open your eyes because you want to write. And I want you to, we're going to practice listening prayer. And I want you to say, God, you tell me what you see when you see my school. You give me a description. Give me five words or give me something that describes my school. What do you see when you see my school? So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Now, for some of you, this may be kind of a new thing you've never done before, and that's okay. And some of you, I see, you've been writing some things down. And I'm not going to ask you what you wrote down, but here's what I would ask you to think about is, what are the differences between what I see and maybe what I think God sees? What are the differences? What are the similarities? So I think we need to stop sometimes and sit back and look and go, what does God see? What does God want me to see? That's the privilege that we have, as we talked about last night. And that foundational thing that we went through is this idea that we can have the heart of the Father. We can know the thoughts of God. We can know the mind of God. God can open that door for us that we can understand. So what do you see? And then it says that he loved the crowds. It says that he looked on them and he had compassion. He had compassion on the crowds. People were coming and like they often did, they were bringing the sick to Jesus. And they were bringing those with diseases. And those that were possessed by demons. All these 
crazy things that Jesus was doing when he was healing them, but it said he had compassion on them. Now compare that to our world today. I really, I really am burdened and I feel sad for you often because what makes me sad for you guys, especially in the last year, is that you've watched many adults in our country kind of lose their minds about current events. And I'm not here to make any statements to you guys about politics, but a lot of it has to do with the political landscape and the moral landscape of our country. And so when you go on social media sometimes, you may have adults in your life that are kind of going off the rails, what I would say, is they're really not appropriately processing and communicating things that maybe they should, especially if they're Christians. And what we see more and more is we see an angry, hateful, divided, separated, some of you guys mentioned some of the things even about your school, judgmental world where everyone's kind of separated and everyone's mad at each other and everyone's just throwing out their opinion and what they think and what other people should think. And where's the compassion? That's my question. And I think if there's anybody that's going to can change that and will change that and should change that, it's you guys. Because I think as adults, we've really kind of screwed things up in a lot of ways. And then what's even worse is that we blame it on you guys. We say, oh, millennials, Generation Z, they're lazy, they don't care, that you know. And I think you guys get the blame when I think you guys are our greatest hope. Do you have the compassion of Jesus? Now, when Matthew writes this in the original language, he uses this really, really cool word. You can take this back with you. When in the word, the word compassion in the original language in which Matthew wrote this in Greek is the word splagnazo. It's like the coolest word ever. It sounds like something that you would run over on the side of the road. Splagnazo. And here's what that word means. That word literally means bowels or guts. What Matthew is saying here about Jesus is when he looked at the crowd, he was moved down to the, his bowels, his guts. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, they're really nice. It was a deep burden, something that changed him, something that was in the core of who he was, that he had compassion on them. And it wasn't like a compassion like, oh, that's really nice and I feel bad for them. It was a compassion that drove him to do something about it. That's true compassion. A lot of times we think of compassion and think, well, maybe I'll just give a few dollars to something so I don't feel so guilty or, or I really feel bad for them. And then you move on with your life. But true compassion is saying, I feel so moved to the guts of my being that I'm going to do something about it. And that's what Jesus had for the crowds. He had this compassion that drove him to do something about it. And this translation of one of the commentaries I have, William Barclay, I love the way he translates this verse that we read. He says, he was moved with compassion to the depths of his being. It moved him to the depths of his soul, and that changed him. And I think often many people go through life, and nothing moves them to the depths of their being. And I would ask you, what moves you to the depths of your soul? 
something that you cannot walk away from? What moves you? What changes in you that God has brought because you are moved with the compassion that maybe you can't even understand? Now, I know you guys are in high school and you're going, yeah, man, that's heavy. Can I really experience that? And I believe that you can. Some of you said about your school, you're underestimated. Don't underestimate yourself. Because God may place something in your heart, even this weekend, you've never had before. And I can tell you guys something. I talked about how this passage has changed me in the last two months. I've read this passage at random times or thought about it and wept openly when I think about your generation. God has moved me with compassion to the depths of my being in a way that I cannot explain to you. I could not put into words the burden, the responsibility that I feel for you, but I know it's real. And what I'm asking God for is that he would take at least one person in every school and give them a little bit of what I have that may cause you to weep, that may cause you to stay up at night and wonder, how can I see God change the lives of the people that I go to, to class with? That takes you beyond the, con- the selfish concerns that you have about your own life and moves you to a different plateau. And says, you know what? It's not really just about me. I see what God sees and I move to the depths of my being with the compassion that I can't even understand or explain. What if you at your school, just one of you, and I can't wait till we get back here for the next session, and we're going to talk about what happens when one person becomes like radically obedient and how that can change things in a way you couldn't imagine. What moves you? Maybe you're even writing something down now. You know, when we think about what moves us, a lot of times what we think about is emotion. We think about, yeah, I'm, I'm moved. Like Jeff, you talked about weeping or, or being emotional. And, and maybe you can relate to that and maybe you can't. You know, emotion is good, but I think what's even better is conviction. Conviction. Jesus had a conviction not just to feel it, but to do it. We live in an emotional, social media-driven society where whatever emotion we're feeling, we've got an emoji for every emotion, right? And whatever emotion we feel, we can tap a button and it's hopefully expressed there, or we can get our opinion out, or whatever we're going through at the moment, in a split second, we can broadcast to the world whatever emotion that we're feeling. That's how Facebook started with their posts before you guys got into Facebook. When Facebook was young, it was like, what are you, you know, how are you feeling? And you would put your feelings out there. And so they created this culture of feelings. But let's look at some of the differences between these two things. Emotions, based on popularity. Whatever happens to be the popular thing, and our emotions can drive that. You know, in, in, just in the last year, you can think about some of the issues in our society, like Target bathrooms. Like we're all like 
bombarded with all that, right? And, you know, the uh, national anthem deal with the NFL, right? And everybody got all worked up about that. And then the election. And then we go from emotion to emotion, from topic to topic. And you know what my question is? Who's still really passionate about any of those issues? Or have they just moved on? Because it was just purely an emotional thing. And everyone gets all emotionally worked up, and then they move on to the next thing, and then everyone gets all emotionally worked up. And I don't think that's the way we're meant to live as kingdom people. I think we're meant to see things differently. I think we're meant to see beyond just the emotion of what might happen. So popularity is driven by emotion. It's manipulated by the surrounding culture. Whatever everybody else is into, emotion says, well, I'm into that too. So everybody else is passionate about this. You know, right now, one of the things, if you know, is like the refugee deal. And that, those are important issues. But my question is, a month from now, who's going to be caring about the refugees? Who's going to be caring about that issue? Most people have moved on to whatever is brought to our attention next and put in front of our face. And then we're going to get all worked up about that. And we're going to forget. And we're going to move on. And that's not the way we're meant to live as kingdom people. It's content that I can just post about this issue, and that's enough. You know, that's the one thing that concerns me today is people go, they're driven by emotion, they post a link or a picture or their thoughts, and then they go, well, I'm doing my part in this issue. And you know what? Someone said recently, Mark Cuban from Shark Tank, if you know who that is, he said Twitter is not real. Now, he's all over Twitter, but he goes, that's not the real world. Nothing is done on Twitter. Nothing is done on Facebook. Nothing's done on Instagram. Nothing's done on Snapchat. All we're doing is sharing our little moment, and that's it. But that's not going to change anything. And if you think it is, you're wrong. You're mistaken. You're not going to change the world by your social media feed. I hate to break the news to you, but it's true. What's going to change the world is conviction, action, compassion, doing something in the real world that makes a real difference in the lives of people. Conviction, not based on popularity. Not manipulated by culture. In fact, the opposite. Conviction influences culture. So it's not just that it's not influenced, but actually conviction will do something to influence the way culture is, and it's compelled towards taking real action in the real world. Reese Howells is this really famous intercessory prayer guy from a long time ago, like 100 years ago, I think. And Reese Howells has three stages of intercession. He talks about identification, agony, and authority. I want you to think about that for a minute. He says, first you identify it. In other words, it's what we're reading here. Jesus gives you a way to see it and understand it and perceive it. That's his way. So that's identification. You see it. And then there's agony. Now that's a word we don't use a lot. And that's a powerful, strong word, isn't it? Agony. You ever gone through agony? Like if you're sick? We're talking this morning with some of the guys about like throwing up. The act of throwing up is awful, isn't it? It's the weirdest thing. I feel like it's like an out-of-body experience when I throw up. It's so strange. It's agony. You're like, this is terrible. 
agony. And then the last stage is authority. We talked about last night praying with confidence. You guys, when you walk through your school and when you pray with Claim Your Campus and when God is moving in your heart, you can walk through your campus with authority. Now, we talked about like the power pose in the last session. Like, you probably don't want to walk down your hall like this or like this. Girls, maybe you couldn't just walk around with all the guys and stuff. But in your heart, you can. You can walk with an authority that says, God has given me a compassion that's moved me to real action. And we can have that if we can identify that. So emotions lessen with intensity and convictions grow in intensity. If you're just driven by emotions, what you'll find is emotion can't sustain itself. Eventually it's going to wear out. But if you've got conviction, if you walk away here this weekend with conviction, that will grow in intensity. If you walk away from this weekend with maybe a calling, an assignment that God has given you, if that assignment is real and if your heart is true and you're hearing from God, I can tell you that it will go beyond the emotion of this time we have together and it will grow and that will be a conviction in your life that you need to continue to follow up with and be obedient to. I mentioned the NFL national anthem thing. There was a player that made this big statement and I'm not saying... I'm not making a judgment on him and what he stood for, but he came out and said, I'm not going to stand up for the national anthem this whole season. And so, you know, he didn't. And then after making this big pub public declaration, within a next week, all of a sudden he's standing again. And he came out with a statement and said, you know, I'm backing off. And what happened was, his relationship and even his contract and his work and all of his livelihood and money was connected to that decision and it was being threatened to be pulled away. And all of a sudden he changed his mind. And what I would say to you is this, without making a judgment on who he is, I would say his first statement wasn't based on conviction because if it was based on conviction, nothing would have changed his decision. And what I'm saying to you is if you have a conviction, nothing will change that. Nothing should change that. You know what I realize is at this time of year is when it's the toughest time of year for Claim Your Campus. And it's interesting that this kind of worked out that we do it this time every year with you guys and bring you in from all over the country. But I think one of the benefits of that is it helps propel you through the rest of the year. Because I realize there are days, especially if you're showing up early at your school, you don't feel like doing it. You're not like, man, I can't wait to get up and early and lose a little sleep and go to my school and pray. I know you don't feel like it all the time, because none of us do. But if it's a conviction, it will get you there. And I know students that week after week after week, they gut it out, and they show up, and they're there, because it's not about emotion. It's not about getting all fired up, and then it wears out. It's about conviction for them. And many of you here in this room, it's a conviction for you. It's something that you believe in, and nothing will shake you from it. What I want to say to you this morning as we move on in our time together while we're here is to think about what moves you for your school. What does God see? 
And how deep is that conviction in your life? And I hope as a result of our time today, it's deeper than it was. Maybe God showed you a view of your school that you've never seen before. And I'd like us to pray about that. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And let's just stop as we close here. And let's ask God that he would give us a true conviction that takes us beyond emotions and goes much, much deeper. Father, we thank you for your example here in Scripture where we see Christ moved when he saw the crowds, he looked at them, and then he loved them. And may our hearts be moved and shaken with conviction because we see the needs. We're looking beyond ourselves and we're looking with your eyes because we need your eyes, we need your heart, we need your guts to bring about the change in people's lives so they can know the healing, loving power of you, God, that's done everything on their behalf to bring them to you. So God, may these students, may all of us here, may we be ambassadors everywhere we go and live with a deep conviction that we love you and we want others to know you and nothing will shake us from that. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes part two of our four-part series on prayer. Thank you for listening in. If you want to get updates on new episodes, please subscribe to our Thought Factory podcast channel on iTunes as well as our newly established YouTube channel. There you'll find episodes from our two previous seasons. And if you are a youth leader, a pastor, parent, parent of a pastor, or a pastor of a parent, I would like to encourage you to encourage your students to join other students across the country to pray at their schools on September 27th for See You at the Poll. See You at the Poll is a great launching point for Claim Your Campus, which is about student-led prayer at every school campus on every day. So if the material you heard about in this episode interests you at all, go to claimyourcampus.com to find out how you can join. There you'll find something called CYC Connect, which is about connecting the local church or ministry to the student-led prayer movement. It provides you with a customizable 60-minute program that empowers your students to change their schools through prayer. Join us for the kickoff of Season 3 of The Thought Factory, coming October 10th. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.